when you look at those words we've just sung. Does that look like a defeatist religion? Do we need to crawl from one day to the other? You see, we are involved in a victory march as believers. And we need to remember that. We need to remember we are in a victory march. We don't have to survive from day to day just making it. Christ has defeated death. He's given us new hope. He's made a way. The saints of old are already telling each other what he's done. And we need to continue the race until we've finished it. And when Christ appears again, this life and everything in it will be over. And we will be with him forever. It's a victory story. And if you're a believer here today, we are part of this. And if that's all you remember from today, then go out into this week and live a life that is victorious. Let's turn to God's Word. We're at a very exciting stage in Malachi, and I know it's the end, but the end is just the beginning. This is the point between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's very exciting. And uh, as I was preparing this passage in the week, I was, in a way, quite sad that we had to come to the end of this book. Because I've found so much in it for myself and so much, so many challenges in it for me. But, but at the same time, we know that the story continues and that this book is pointing forward to the Messiah who did come and the victorious Christ who will still come. So let's look in God's Word, Malachi chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through to the end of the chapter. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb or Sinai for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Let's just come before the Lord and ask for him to guide our thoughts this morning. Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we again want to acknowledge that this word we've opened is no ordinary book, but it is a living word from Almighty God, the Lord of hosts, to us as human beings on this earth. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak your living words through your spirit to us, 
that you would touch our hearts and change our lives. Because we need to be changed before you come. And then you will make us perfect before you. And so, Lord, thank you for your word. Speak to us now, we pray. Amen. As we've journeyed through this book of Malachi, we've come to the end of our journey through this book. And also to the end of our journey through the Old Testament as such. But as I said before, the end is just a beginning for us this morning. Yes, it's the end of the Old Testament, but the beginning of the New. But more so, the events prophesied. Some of them have come true, but some of them prophesied in this specific text this morning still need to come true. And so it is also a book of beginnings. For the nation of Israel, you see, this prophecy of new beginnings by God's messenger Malachi was brought to them when they had returned from the Babylonian exile. God had sent them through that experience for a specific purpose. And now Jerusalem had again been rebuilt after it was broken down. And the temple had also been restored. But had the people learnt their lesson? And as we've looked through the book of Malachi, they obviously hadn't. How do we know that? Well, here are the symptoms of this disease they had. And evaluate your own life to see if you don't have the same today, even right here as we look at what was happening in Israel. Their spiritual zeal was lessening. They'd grown skeptical of God's love. They'd grown careless in their worship of Him. They just came in worship before the Lord. They'd become indifferent to the truth. They couldn't care less whether it was truth proclaimed or not. It didn't worry them. They'd become disobedient to the principles of the covenant which God had put before them and said, Obey this. They'd grown faithless in their marriages as a result. And they'd become abusive in their offerings before the Lord. Think of your own life. Are any of those symptoms there? You see, into this carnal and this rebellious people, God brings a messenger. And the first words from God's mouth are not words of judgment, but words of love. The Lord says, I have loved you. What an amazing God. And in these last few lines of this prophecy, and in the last few lines of this Old Testament, Malachi encapsulates or brings together the principles that have come before. And he calls the people to obedience. And he calls them to, and he, and he leaves them with a warning. He, he calls the people to obedience to God and he leaves them with a warning from that same God. And so let's look at this obedience that he calls them to firstly. You see, after Malachi's last words, after he had finished speaking, there would be no more prophets for the next 400 plus years. That had been prophesied as well. Until the appearance of John the Baptist in the New Testament. 
And so they hadn't learned their lesson in the exile and God was going to put them through yet another time of learning. So for 400 years they would hear no more new word from the Lord. And the question was, how would they stay faithful to God? And Malachi tells them how. This is how they would stay faithful to God. And this is how we can stay faithful to God. Malachi says to them in verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant. Yes, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him at Horeb or Sinai for all Israel. The Lord says to them, remember. Now, he's not speaking to people with short memories. That's not the type of remember. He's not saying, do you remember? He's saying here to them, and whenever this word is used in the Old Testament, remember, it is saying, point your heart back to those commandments that I've given to you and ask yourself, are you obeying them? That is what the word remember means. It's it's put them up there and evaluate yourself. Are you obeying my commands, says the Lord to them? Are you obeying the law which I gave to my servant Moses? Are you obeying the statutes and the ordinances or the principles and the rules that I've given to you through the law? You see, this word remember is a verb. It's a doing word. It's not just a are you remembering. Jesus in the New Testament said, if you have ears to hear, it's the same thing. It's a doing word. He says, listen to the law of my servant Moses. Remember the law of my servant Moses. You see, here is Malachi, the last writer in the Old Testament, pointing back to the first writer in the Old Testament, Moses, 1,200 years before. And their message is still consistent. It's still the same. Remember the law, live by the principles, and have the fruit that comes from obeying God's principles. You see, both these men, Malachi and Moses, were God's servants. And the message goes through to the present nation of Israel. You too are God's servants. You too should live by these principles. The message hasn't changed. Live by the law, says the Lord. To put it in other words, This is your duty to do, says Malachi. If on the day of judgment you would escape the curse with which transgressors are threatened in the law, and if you want to participate in the salvation desired and promised to those who fear God, then listen to the law and obey it. So you want to stay faithful, he says, be obedient to God's principles. You're going to have 400 years when you're not going to hear a new word. Be obedient, stay faithful. You see, to us today, the message remains the same. Are we still under the law? No. Passages like Romans 6.15 and Galatians 5, verse 1 to 4. And we haven't got time to go and dwell on those now. But Paul very clearly points out we are no longer under the Old Testament law given to the nation of Israel. But, before you breathe that sigh of relief, We've got more to live up to. You see, we have to live up to the principles of the law. The principles of righteousness which were contained in the law and which have remained unchanged because God is an unchanging one. His principles don't change. And so how do we live this way? 
Is it through the keeping of rules? And you know, Israel had myriads of rules to keep. Does it mean that if I keep all those rules, I'll be a holy person before God? No, it's not about rule keeping at all. It's about how we live every single day by the principles of God's word and with the help that the Holy Spirit gives us to attain those standards. Because on our own, we can't do it. I know you've tried. I've tried. We can't do it on our own. It's only through the Spirit's intervention in our lives and with His help that we can live by the principles of God's Word. Those indwelling principles that the Spirit instills in us. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. How are we to live today? Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. This is what the Apostle Paul clarifies for us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life, there is the law we are under, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law, that is the Old Testament law, what, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, it's not by law keeping and by rule keeping that we are made righteous before the Lord today. That's all they had in the Old Testament. They had to keep these laws and rules which God had put before them. That's all they had. But then Jesus came in the New Testament to perfect the law and to enable us to live godly lives today without all that rule keeping. And the Spirit then makes us perfect and alive before God's throne. And so the requirement for you and I today is to live godly lives. The other word for that is to live holy lives. Lives that are set apart for God by the principles of God's word. You see, this is much, much bigger than rule keeping. And don't you believe anyone that says, if you want to be a believer, you've got to keep these rules. And they'll start listing them. And you'll get them today. They are trying to take you back to Old Testament rules and laws. It's not, you don't have to do that today. We have a much bigger law by which we live. We have the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the freedom he gives through the Spirit that makes it all possible. Secondly, Malachi says to them, yes, you are to be obedient to the law, but there's a second attitude which is going to help you to get through in this time when you are hearing no new word from the Lord. And that is to have a sense of expectation. A sense of something is going to happen and we know what it is. The Messiah is coming. You need to have that sense of expectation. Verses 5 to 6. He says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Behold, I'm going to send Elijah and the great, before the great terrible day of the Lord. They had to have an attitude of expectancy. 
He says to them, behold, I'm going to do this. Take notes. Watch for that great event. Be expectant. It's going to happen in a specific order. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so there was something they could look to. You see, there was an ancient and a widespread notion, especially among the rabbis and the Jewish leaders, that Elijah, the Tishbite, the Old Testament Elijah, the one who was taken up in the fiery chariot, was going to make another appearance before the Messiah came. They were misinterpreting the prophecies. You see, if you go and look at passages, again, write these down if you want to look at them. Hosea chapter 3 verse 5 and Ezekiel 37 verse 24. Those passages dispel that notion that it would actually be Elijah, the Tishbite, that person. So who would this then be? It says Elijah in my text. I don't know about yours. Who would this Elijah then be? You see, this prophet to be sent to them in the future would not be the long-dead Elijah come to life again, but a prophet with the spirit or the power of Elijah the Tishbite. You see, in the time of Elijah, Elijah was a man who was zealous for God. That was his characteristic. He was bold in pointing out sin. He was active to point out to an apostate people that they need to turn back to God. He lived in the time of Ahab and Jezebel a time which was rife with sin. And he stood up man alone against them at risk of his own life and he spoke out boldly, not just against the king and queen, but also against the nation who had turned from God. And so that same spirit, a person with that same spirit was going to be made alive again, the new Elijah, Elijah the prophet. And so a few hundred years later in the New Testament, God raised up and through the Spirit endowed John the Baptist as the great and last prophet to announce the imminent arrival of the Messiah. Scripture reveals to us that that Elijah is John the Baptist. Someone who was also, like the old Elijah, animated or driven by that same Spirit and power. And he also preached repentance and he also preached reformation or changed lives as Elijah of old had done. You see, when John the Baptist came on the scene in the New Testament, the situation was very much like that in the Old Testament when Elijah the Tishbite was around because now the Jews had retained some outward form of religion but a lot of it, a lot of it was false and just pure tradition. They were just going through the motions of worshipping this God of these. And so we see that John was a true successor of Elijah. How do we know that? Am I just jumping to conclusions here? Well, let's see what Scripture says. What did Jesus himself say about this? Because you need to see this. We read about this earlier this morning in Matthew chapter 11, but let's go back there again. Matthew chapter 11, a few pages on. Matthew chapter 11, verses 10, verses 10 to 14. This is Jesus speaking about this prophet now. This is the one, verse 10, about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before me. Words from Malachi and words from Isaiah. Truly I say to you, 
Among those born of woman, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, here it is. John himself is Elijah who was to come. Now, if Jesus said it, we have to believe it. There's the link, you see. And Jesus himself brings that link together. Just flick across to Matthew chapter 17, a few pages on. Now, the disciples still didn't understand this, so Jesus kind of clarified it for them as well. He drew pictures for them. Okay, here it is. Matthew chapter 17, verses 11 to 13. Matthew 17, verse 11. And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the penny dropped. Verse 13. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about, there it is, John the Baptist. Alright, so I hope you're clear this morning that this Elijah spoken of here is John the Baptist, and it's quite important. And if you're still in doubt, John himself says, it is not me. Listen to what John says, John chapter 1 verse 21. When the messengers of the Sanhedrin came to John the Baptist and asked him directly if he was the resurrected Elijah the Tishbite, which is the sense in which they meant it, he denied it, but he points them to Isaiah's prophecy about a coming messenger to announce the Messiah. And he says, that one is me. I am that Elijah. So, we've clarified that issue. Now, what would the role of John the Baptist be? This Elijah that he's spoken of here in Malachi. What would his role be? Well, Malachi already prophesies what he would say. Behold, see, he says in verse 6 of Malachi chapter 4, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. What he's talking about here is not family disputes, by the way. If at the first reading you read it and you think, well, he's going to restore fathers to their children and children to their fathers. No, he's not talking about he will get people talking to each other again. That's not what it is about, you see. He wasn't to bring that type of peace. Because the greatest sin of the nation at the time of this prophecy of Malachi wasn't disputes or quarrels between fathers and their children. What was their greatest sin before the Lord? It was estrangement from God. They were not living the way God said they needed to live. And the fathers he speaks about here are the patriarchs of the nation. He will put the fathers' hearts back into this nation. The fathers of old. Moses, Abraham, Isaac and David. You see, those were men who were men after God's own heart. And God says, I will put their hearts back into this nation. What were those hearts? Those hearts were obedient hearts. Hearts that kept to the principles of the law. Hearts that bore fruit of that obedience. And the children or the sons were this degenerate and this disobedient nation of Malachi's time. You see that? So it's not just about father and children. Yes, that would happen as well. But that isn't the point here. You see, that during the time of Malachi, there was no longer any similarity at all between what the nation's forefathers had stood for so many years ago 
and the way the nation was now living. The nation had rejected the way of their forefathers, that is God's way, and they needed God to restore them again to himself, and they needed God to restore to their hearts godly and obedience, uh, godliness and obedience as their forefathers had been, so that they would again walk in his ways. Hasn't so much changed today too? Aren't we very much in the same situation? We've had people who've come before us, great men and women of God, and how quickly have we, as a generation, forgotten that name? There are people walking out, and I know Phil, who does a lot of evangelism out there in the streets, will be able to tell you, there are people out there who do not even know who Jesus is anymore. We've forgotten the road. And this is what John the Baptist would come to do. He was coming to prepare the way for the Lord who would come right after him. This Lord with a winnowing fork on his winnowing floor and gathering the wheat into his granary, the one who would burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John would come before and prepare people's hearts for that Lord. So that was his role. How do we know that? This is what John said of his own task. These are the words he preached to the people. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. 3 verse 8. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. In other words, he was saying to the nation of Israel and to those who were listening, the Pharisees, And the Jewish leaders, you claim to be children of Abraham, but you don't have the obedience and the repentant hearts that Abraham had. How can you say you are his children? You are not his children. You are children of the devil. That's what he calls them. And so he says, repent and let your lives show the fruit and the evidence of repentance. You see, John's role was to turn many to righteousness back to the Lord their God, and to make them ready for the Messiah. I want to stop here this morning and just ask you, as we're sitting here, you and I, by the way, are you and I living lives of repentance? Do we live lives of repentance daily? Do we live lives that show the fruit of that repentance? Or do we just live humdrum lives that carry on one day to the other and it couldn't make a difference to us? These are the two characteristics that the whole Old Testament calls us to. And Malachi. Repentance and fruits of repentance. And Jesus carries on that theme again in the New Testament. And that theme hasn't changed. And it will still, it will stay unchanged until the day Jesus Christ reappears in heaven. And we will see him That theme will stay the same. Repentance and fruits of repentance. Obedience. You see, it's it's a constant theme right through Scripture. And there's another matter we need to look at here. Young people, and I'm specifically speaking to young people, and if there are, are others who fall under this as well, listen to God's Word. If you're depending on the Christian testimony of your parents to think that you will get into heaven, you need to know today that God does not have spiritual grandchildren. At all. He only has direct descendants. Do you get what I'm saying? You have to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your parents believe. You must have that relationship. 
Otherwise, you will also be burned as chaff. And you fall under John the Baptist's direct warning still. You must have a heart relationship with Jesus Christ. Repent and bear fruit, says the word to you today. And then what does Malachi do? He says, there's a consequence, you see. You need to repent and bear fruit before something else happens. And there it is, last bit of verse 6. Before I return and smite the land with a curse. That is God's word through the prophet Malachi to the people. I will return and I will come and smite the land with a curse. You see, the prophet was prophesying the Messiah's first coming as well as his second in that line. And there's a warning tied up with Jesus' coming in both instances. When the Messiah, or Jesus Christ, came the first time when he appeared as a baby, he brought with him judgment. And people look at Jesus and they think, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, we're coming up to Christmas time. Well, no, that very same baby Jesus, when he appeared on this earth, brought with him judgment at the same time. Because, you see, God had made a way back for man to be able to reach God again and to have a relationship with God. And the moment Jesus was there, the evidence was in front of them. But what did people do? They turned their backs on that baby and they turned their backs on that man when he grew up through his whole ministry on this earth and today they are still turning their backs on him. You see, it started with Herod when he tried to kill that baby. And it's carried on through today to Richard Dawkins, who still rejects that Messiah, who still says he is not the Son of God. That is a figment of Christian imagination. What about you, before we point too many fingers? Have you got a relationship with that Lord Jesus Christ? See, God's judgment, if you haven't, has already started on you. Because we are born in sin says Scripture. We are born in sin. And so God's judgment has already started. But the evidence against you is just more. Because Jesus Christ appeared. John the Baptist appeared. We've heard Malachi's words now. And if you still walk out from this place and turn your back on God's word, that judgment is on you. There is a consequence that is coming. And we've looked at that for the past few weeks. Jesus is bringing with him a curse as well. And what is that? He will bring the judgment of fire with him when he reappears. And so this prophecy has great relevance to you and I this morning. It is once again a warning signal to us to repent. And if we are believers here, to bear fruit. And you see, with this calling to be obedient to the law of Moses and with this prediction of the prophet Elijah coming before the Lord himself comes, the prophecy of the Old Testament is brought to a close. And after Malachi, as predicted, there were no more prophets for 400 plus years. That's history until John the Baptist came on the scene. And then the Lord appeared. So those prophecies have all come true, but there is one that's still coming. The Lord is coming again. That prophecy is still to be fulfilled. So if all this, these have been fulfilled, what stops the last one? You see, there's a warning to you if you're not a believer. 
And so I want to end this morning with these words, he who has ears, let him hear. Like Malachi said to the people, remember the law, he who has ears. You see, as believers, there's a great temptation, as there was for Israel in the Old Testament, to forget these principles of God and to harden our hearts. We hear God's word week in, week out, week in, week out, sermons. Bible studies, home groups, we hear God's word and what do we do? Do we accept it? Do we allow the spirit to change our lives? Or do we turn our backs on it and harden our hearts to it because we've heard it so much? When one goes and evangelizes in countries that haven't heard the gospel and they hear that gospel for the first time, the people are like the people in the New Testament who heard John, what must we do to be saved? And yet us in Western countries, we've heard this gospel message so many times. We harden our hearts to it. Is your heart hardened to the gospel today as you sit there? Do a reality check with the Spirit working in you. Is it hardened in you? There's another temptation here. And that's just not, not just to forget these principles of God's word or to harden our hearts, but also there's a third one here. You see, the Lord hasn't come yet. He said he's coming, but he hasn't come yet. And like the Israelites, that delay got them to lose their zeal for the Lord. And there's that same temptation today for us to settle into this world and become passive as we wait for the Lord's return. I don't know how active you are in your Christian life as you sit here. You might come to church week in, week out, but how active are you in your relationship with the Lord? Do you obey Him by telling others about Him? Or have you also grown passive before the Lord? You see, as First Peter reminded us um, quite a few um, weeks and months ago, that we are aliens and exiles in this world. We are sojourners, we are strangers, and we need to be reminded of that. And this passage reminds us again. This world is not our home. We are here temporarily. God has given us a task to do and a mission to fulfill. When that's over, he will come and we will be with him forever. That is our home. We are passing through. The passport we bear isn't of this world. It is of the Lamb of God. And we need to remember that. We have a different passport. Don't settle down into this life. Don't take on the trappings of this world. Remember, you have a mission. Turn with me if you would. Let's see what Paul says again in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Now you weren't expecting to touch in Hebrews and and Romans from Malachi, but here we go. Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 13 to 16. This is a reminder of what is going to happen to us. All these died in faith. That's our forefathers, Christian descendants and Old Testament saints. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the world in this on this earth for those who say such things made it clear that they are seeking a country of their own see even abraham left where he was living and he went to a country which the lord would point out to him 
And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And if you're a believer here today, there is a city prepared for you. And God has spent how many thousands of years already preparing that city? Have you still got your eyes on that city? Or are your eyes on this world? We need to be reminded we are not of this world. That's to you as believers. And to you as unbelievers here today, and there will be some amongst us. In Jesus Christ, that Messiah who came, that Messiah who rose again when he was killed by men and is now at the Father's right hand and about to return. In Jesus Christ, the door is now open for you to receive new life and forgiveness. It is wide open to you. Today it is wide open to you again as we come to this word. You see, Jesus Christ was burned in the oven of God's wrath for your sin. He was burned by the Lord. He was crushed underfoot by the weight of your sin and mine so that we could be healed. And he came to reconcile all generations, including you, back to God. Will you accept his offer of life? It is open before you this morning. Or will you once again turn your back? You see, no one serves God and loses. Don't believe that lie from Satan. It's not worth it, he says. No one serves God and loses, just as ultimately no one tests God and escapes. And if you're an unbeliever here, to, don't think that you've got away with it so far, and as long as you can kind of make it through life, you'll be okay. No, you won't. There is a day coming, even if you don't pay in this life, you will pay in the next. You can't escape that judgment to come. And see, rather than miss out on the true and the eternal rest, that is the inheritance of the saints, you too can find that true peace. If you come to the Lord and bow your knee in repentance and receive eternal life. We've completed this text in Malachi. And the last verse I want you to turn to is the last verse in the New Testament. Let's see what it says. This is the promise to us as believers. Us who sit here in 2011. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say to us, our Redeemer who is coming again? Revelation chapter 22, verses 20 to 21. The Apostle John speaking. He who testifies to these things says, and now it's Jesus' own words, Yes, I am coming quickly. Now just stop there for a minute. Yes, I am coming quickly. See, to the believer, that is a promise which is fantastic. It is ahead of us. Yes, I am coming quickly. But to the unbelievers, that is at the same time a word of judgment. I am coming quickly and you will not be prepared. You see, there's blessing and judgment in those words. And in the same, in those last words of Malachi, there was blessing and judgment in the last words of the Old Testament, the whole of Scripture warns and gives blessing in this regard. But the question you and I need to ask ourselves is, the Old Testament ends with a warning and a curse. The New Testament ends 
with warning and what? Not a curse, but a warning and grace. Verse 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You see, that is the difference between the old and the new. The Lord Jesus Christ came and He brought with Him grace. Undeserved love. And all He says to you and I is, accept it from me. And I will bring the change in your life. And I will bring you blessing from there. But we need to bow the knee. And that is the hardest thing to do as unbelievers. We can't bow that proud knee. The Lord says to us, bow the knee. Receive eternal life. And so when you hear these words, I'm coming quickly, it will be to you too a blessing. On which side of that warning are you this morning? Are you on the side of the curse? Or are you on the side of grace? There is no other option. It's the curse or grace. Where do you stand with God Almighty today? The warning has gone out. And the blessing has gone out at the same time. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, on these very serious and very somber notes, the Old Testament ends. And yet we know, Lord Jesus, that if we have received new life in you, then the words that end for us today are words of grace and words of hope. And we can have the hope that we sang of earlier this morning, that triumphant Christian life when Jesus Christ reappears and we are taken up to be with him for, for eternity and to live in glory with him. Lord, thank you that we do have hope. But Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would fully awaken us as believers and unbelievers to pursue you as the center of our lives. And not just that, Lord, but as believers to persevere in the faith, to keep a steady course through this life by your word, through the principles of the law that you revealed of old, by the challenges of this prophet and the prophet John as well. And Lord, that we would have the urgency of John the Baptist in us as we proclaim the word to people around us. But Lord, we would take heed of your teachings to us, Lord Jesus. And that when you come again, we will be ready. And Lord, help us to not try and do this on our own through rule keeping, but that we would live holy lives because of the energy and the enablement of your Spirit. Because without your Spirit, we can't live your way. And Lord, help us to persevere and to stay faithful until you come again. And until we receive the victory and the crown of our calling, that eternal inheritance in heaven. All those who do not faint and wait for the coming of that great Redeemer. And as the New Testament ends, Lord, we pray. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.